wanted to take a minute today and uh, do a little more prayer time. I know uh, it's important for us that we are praying people. Uh, and we do this every now and again. And I know that just recently we've had members who, uh, who have lost a loved one. I know Fran Thornton who lost her mother and Craig Seebeck who lost his mother just uh, yesterday. Uh, we have loss. We have hurt. We have anxiety. We have fear. But we also have joy. Uh, we have uh, hope. And so what I'd like to do right now, if we would, is remain standing. And if, unless, if you need somebody to just pray for you, you don't have to say what, you don't have to say how. If you just need prayers, just have a seat where you are right now. You can just sit down right there. Uh, you don't have to tell anybody about it. The Lord knows exactly what you need. So you can have a seat if you need uh, prayers of, of hope or thanksgiving or for hurt or for joy or you have prayers of praise. It doesn't matter. Uh, just take a seat. Now, I'd like to ask if you would, if you are around somebody who just had a seat, uh, if you place a hand maybe on their shoulder, that's all right. Uh, find somebody who is seated. You don't have to know exactly what's going on. You just need to know uh, that they need us to go and talk to the Lord on their behalf. So uh, we're going to take a moment now, and uh, we're going to share in some prayer time together. Holy God, we are so grateful that we get to come into your presence. We know that that is not a small thing to enter the throne room of the creator of the universe. You put the stars in the sky. You put the earth uh, spinning on its axis. You put the universe together. And Lord, we get to come right into the room and ask for your attention. Lord, we know that it came at great cost uh, for us to be able to do that. That there was the shedding of blood. There was the brokenness of the body of your son. Uh, that made it to where we need not be afraid. Uh, we need not hesitate in any way, but we get to come in and call ourselves sons and daughters of the King. And so right now, Lord, what we ask is that you would bless those who are seated, uh, that you would heal their hearts in the ways that they may need to be healed, that you would give them comfort, that you would give them peace, no matter if they're struggling physically or mentally or emotionally. Or even if they're seated right now just because they're filled with praise over the way that you've been working in their lives. Lord, you see our souls and you see our hearts and you know exactly what we need even before we ask. And so, Lord, we ask that you do what you see fit and what you know is best for all of us. Lord, we ask that during this time today uh, that you give me uh, the gift of preaching, that you would give me the words to say. And more than that, Lord, I ask that you would use your Holy Spirit uh, to guide those words and that you would have those interpreted into the souls of men and women in the way that you need them uh, to be heard. Lord, I ask that you also be with uh, uh, Christ Church Presbyterian here uh, in Kerrville, that you be with their pastor, Billy Crane, as he does the same thing this morning. Give him the gift of preaching. Allow him to say the words that are true and are right and the good news of your son and what you've done for us. Lord, we say all of these prayers because we get to be your body and your bride. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you for doing that. It's important every now and again that we get to stop and we get to pray for one another. Uh, so uh, thank you for doing that and for participating in that. Uh, we, we've been searching for what God's called it, calling us to be as a church, and one of the ways we've been doing that is we've been in Acts, the book of Acts. That's the first uh, uh, book where you start seeing the disciples and the apostles and the people that they're gathering trying to figure out what does it mean to be church? What does it look like for us to be what God's called us to be? 
And so we started uh, just a, a, a few weeks ago, and we've been in Acts 1 for a while talking about witnesses. We got into Acts 2 on Pentecost, and we're going to be in Acts 2 again uh, on Pentecost because this is really a neat day. Uh, last week we talked about it kind of being the delivery room there at Pentecost because the church was born that day. The church that we're part of now, the church that is about faith in Christ and that reliance on Him and that freedom that comes from Him, and we were able to start that last week, and we're going to continue talking about that uh, this week. It will be in the same scripture there, but we really want to talk uh, about what happened on this day. And if you recall last week, if you weren't here with us, we'll just remind you, the day of Pentecost comes from the word that just means the 50th day in Greek. But what it was is it came from a Hebrew celebration, the festival of weeks. And more than anything, what that was, was an in-gathering. That was a celebration of the harvest. So it's an in-gathering. In other words, we gather these things. And if you know about the day of Pentecost, you know that here in a little bit we're going to get towards the end of it. And 3,000 people are going to come to know Christ and give their faith, uh, present their faith into Christ. And so there will be this great ingathering, this great harvest that will happen during that time. But there's something else that happens there too. And this is what I want us to be able to talk about today. Uh, this is Acts uh, 2 verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is this great day, and I want to talk to you about wind and fire today. If we just had earth, man, we'd have quite the band going here, but we have wind and fire going today that I want to talk to you about in particular of what happened here. It's not just the birth of the church, but it's also this grand opening that happened. It's this opening of the church that is welcoming people in, and it's this great uh, celebration. And let me tell you, if there's one thing you need to know, God knows how to do a grand opening, and he's done it multiple times. And we're going to be talking about that today. And in particular about how what you have is this Jewish audience. And so this Jewish audience on the day of Pentecost has come from all over. And here they are. They're going to be watching this wind, this sound of wind, and this, these tongues of fire. And they're going to go, I know what that is. I recognize that. Because this has happened before. Some of this has happened before and some of it has never happened before or since. If I can, I just want to stop for a second and tell you, one of the things that happened was that all of these apostles were all speaking different languages, and everybody understood them in their own language at that time. That hasn't happened before or since for everybody to be speaking in that way and for everybody to understand in their own language. That hasn't happened before or since. But there are some things that have happened before then and some things that have happened since then. And in particular, they have to do with this welcoming and this opening of God's church and his presence. Uh, that's, a, that's an important part for us to remember because this opening of the, the presence of God in this place, and when he said, you're going to be my temple now, and then the fire came, and then the wind came. That's the opening of the new temple and where it is because he promised us, you're going to be my temple. I'm going to come and dwell in you. But this had such a key phrase for Jews at that time that they would have understood because the presence of God in fire is something that's happened before and it's something they would have recognized. They knew that their God often appeared in fire. This is from the burning bush where he appeared to Moses, from the great pillar of fire that led the people of Israel across to the promised land. Oftentimes God showed up in fire and that's something that they had heard about, that's something that they were familiar with. 
And really the question from God's people became all the time is, God, are you going to go with us? Where are you? How can we know that you're here? How can we see your presence? And oftentimes the answer to that from God was to go, it'll be in fire. I'll, I'll be seen in a fire. That's how you will see me. That's how you will know me is in some way of a fire. And that was representative of the presence of God in some, so many ways. The first way that it did, and one of the other grand openings, if you want to think about this, is the beginning of the tabernacle. Now, if you recall, what happened was when God set the, the Jewish people free from Egypt, and they're going to travel from Egypt to the promised land, they're going to be on this long journey. And one of the things that happened during that time was there was a pillar of fire that helped guide them. And that was a moving thing. It was a cloud during the day, and it was a pillar of fire at night so that they'd be able to see that. But even more than that, what they desired and what God desired was a place for his presence to be able to rest. Where will his presence be as we travel this way, as the Jews were saying, as we travel this way? Where's the presence of God? How do we know he's going with us? How can we feel comfortable? How can we not be afraid going to this place unless we know that the presence of God is with us? And we need to be able to see it in some way. How can we know that you're right here next to us and that you're with us? And so what they did was they made a tabernacle. And that was for the place of the presence of God to actually rest. Not just move out front as a pillar, but to have a place where his presence would rest, where it would dwell, where it would be for them to reside. You had the presence of God during that time. And so they built the tabernacle according to what God said, because this is God finding a way. You need to know all of this that happened in the Old Testament that's leading up into the New Testament. With Jesus coming, is all about God finding a way to dwell with his people. And so this is one of the ways he said. He said, build me a tent and build it exactly the way that I tell you. And then what will happen is my presence will come and it will rest in this place. And it will be there and you'll be able to see it. So what they did was they built the tent. And they did it exactly the way that they wanted, the way that he wanted. And one of the things that they did right before they opened it up was they had these offerings that they had where they had the animals that they come forward. And it wasn't just regular offerings of animals, but it was harvest offerings too. Just like what they did on Pentecost, there was a grain offering and a sin offering and a fellowship offering and an offering for the priests and their sin so that they'd be able to go in. And then there was an offering for all the people. Just like every time that happened on Pentecost, this is what happened at the grand opening of the tabernacle. And so all of these offerings were made and they were put upon this altar. And then in Leviticus 9.23, this is what it says. Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting, only Moses and Aaron. When they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for joy, and they fell face down. The opening of the tabernacle, what happens is that the Lord shows up in fire consumes this offering in one way. And the thing that's neat is that it was such a great thing that they shouted for joy and they fell face down. Now, I've shouted for joy before, and I've even fallen face down before. I have never done both of them together because of the same thing. It's remarkable to be thinking about this and understanding that what they saw was such an amazing and terrifying thing that they were able to do both. I could be filled with joy and shout while at the same time knowing that I'm not worthy to be here and having to fall upon my knees. It's a wonderful and terrible thing. It's this amazing thing. It was holy 
And it was great. And it was awesome. As a matter of fact, it was such a powerful moment for them that later, generations later, as they would talk about it, this is in Deuteronomy 4, 32 and 33. This is how they told the next generation for the people that weren't there at that time. This is what they told their kids to think about it. They said, ask now about the former days. Because these are kids. They're going, ask about this. Long before your time, from the day God created human beings on this earth, and ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have, and lived? Just to live. Continues on in Deuteronomy 5, 23 and 24. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire and all the leaders of your tribes and your elders came to me and you said the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty and we have heard his voice from the fire today we have seen that a person can live even if God speaks with them that's what a big deal it was for them to talk about this they would go when we were on the mountain we heard the voice come from the fire when we built the tabernacle we heard the voice and it came from the fire we have experienced the presence of god through fire and it's amazing we even lived it's remarkable that we're still alive only through the grace and the mercy of god are we even alive to tell you about it that's what a big deal it was that's how huge it was when the Lord showed up in fire. Let me tell you about another grand opening. Years later, after the tabernacle was the, the dwelling place of God, it, they finally landed in their own land. And what happened was David wanted to build a temple. He wanted to build a permanent dwelling place, a permanent resting place for the presence of God. But he wasn't allowed to do it, but his son Solomon was allowed to do it. So Solomon has a temple built, a more permanent resting place for the presence of God. And he put the Ark of the Covenant in it. And as they opened it, they had another great big opening. I mean, there were harps and there were lyres and there were cymbals and there was 120 people playing trumpets. And there was this great prayer of dedication that they had at the grand opening of this temple. As a matter of fact, the prayer that Solomon even said was, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple that I've built? And then he says this prayer of dedication. And they do this offering for the priests before they go in because only the priests can go in and only after they've been sanctified and, and atoned for can they go in there. And then this is what it says in 2 Chronicles 7, 1 through 3. See if this sounds familiar. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and it consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all of the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground, and they worshiped, and they gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good, and His love endures forever. Sound familiar? Grand new opening for the temple, and the same thing happens. The Lord shows up in fire. He comes, and He consumes the offering that's been set out before them. And then his presence comes and dwells in that place. And even to them, the priests couldn't even go in there. Only Moses and Aaron before, and now they're saying the priests couldn't even go in there because it was such a mighty and a terrible thing. But it's also answering the question that God's people have always asked. Where are you going to be, Lord, as we go through this life? As we set up in this land or as we travel, where are you going to be? How close can we get to you? 
How do we get access to you? How are we able to talk to you? In the same way that we just now, just a few minutes ago, you laid hands upon each other, and we went before the throne room of God, and we were able to go directly to him and say, Lord, turn your attention here. Turn your face to this place, to these people that are hurting right now. God's people have always said, I want to be able to see where you are. I want to know where you are. I want to know where you dwell. Where do you rest? Where are you in all of this? And in each one of these occasions, what happens is there's kind of this order. There's a sacrifice. There's the shedding of blood that happens. And the sacrifice is consumed. And then there's atonement for the sins of the people. And not just for the people, but there's atonement even for the sins of the priests who go in to make atonement for the sins of the people. Because they have to be made pure before they can even enter so that they can make a sacrifice for the rest of people. So God's always found a way for his people to be near. But here's the thing with this. With that fire and what's happened through all of this, there was still this sense that only so far, you can only come thus far. There's always been this little gap that kind of existed before this time. Fire also meant, with the presence of God, it also meant... Keep back. Keep your distance. Stay back. That's one of the things that happened when they went to Mount Sinai. One of the things was the presence of the Lord is going to be on the mountain. Don't even touch the mountain. Don't approach it. And then there was going to be in the tabernacle. Don't go to the tabernacle. You can't go in there. Then it was the temple, and you could come into parts of the temple, but you can't go in the Holy of Holies place. There was always this presence of God, this powerful, holy, beautiful, frightening, terrifying thing that had God in this place of fire going only so close. This is as close as you get to come right now. You need to stay back for a little while. So the, the fire of God, it's his presence, and it would rest on places, not people, but it would rest on places, but only these places that God determined could be sanctified and atoned for and made holy. God's presence would come and rest on holy places. Now, here's the other part of this. The wind. There's this mighty wind that they hear, and it says it even sounds like a violent wind. And you need to know the word in uh, Hebrew for wind and spirit is almost exactly the same. And it's the idea that wind is something that you can see the power of it, but you can't actually see it, right? You can't see wind. It's an invisible thing, but you can see the result of it. You can see the power. You can watch the trees move back and forth. You can see what happens when the wind blows on something. And again, it can be a beautiful, and it can be a mighty, and it can be a terrifying thing because of the power that's contained there. This particular word, though, that it uses right here in Acts, where it talks about this sound of a rushing wind. It doesn't say there was wind. It says there was this sound of a violent and rushing wind. This particular one actually translates better as not just wind, but breath. This is a breath, and it's not just a regular breath, but it translates more as the breath of life, a life-giving breath. So here you have the disciples of Jesus gathered together on the 50th day, on the gathering end day, and then they hear this life-giving breath, this first breath that was also talked about as that was the breath that God gave Adam when he first became alive. It's the first breath. It's what gives life. And then after that, they see the presence of fire. And it's not just one fire, and it doesn't just land on a place, but it actually separates, and it lands upon a people. That's why we were talking about this being the birth of the church. Life-giving breath, and then the presence of God in fire. 
You know, the only other time that this word uh, of breath, life-giving breath, is actually even used in the New Testament. It's not used anywhere else, but except when Paul is on uh, Mars Hill in Athens, and he's talking to uh, the people that are there about what gives beginning to everything. This is what Paul says in Acts 17, 24, and 25. The God who made the world and everything in it is the, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Paul talking about temples, talking about where the Lord dwells, about where he rests. And he said it's this same God that gives this life-giving first breath to everything. And that's where our Lord dwells. This is why we call it the birth of the church. First, there's this life-giving breath, and then the presence of God came to rest on his temple. No longer you have to stay back. There's no longer not too close. There's no longer you need to keep back for a while. There's not another sacrifice that was made on that day of Pentecost, but instead the ultimate sacrifice of Christ has already been made, and it's already been consumed. It's already been gathered and taken back up to heaven. That's what the fire of God did at the tabernacle and the temple. It came down and it consumed and accepted the sacrifice and took it back up to heaven. And now we have the ultimate sacrifice of Christ. God bridged the gap between us and him that kept us at a distance and his glory came to rest on his new dwelling place. That's us. Those who believe are now the temple of God. We didn't come near to the fire or the presence of God. He came near to us. And that's an important part. It was always about how close we're able to come. Don't come any closer. Don't come any closer. Until finally what God said is, I'm going to come all the way to you. And my presence will come and it will rest upon you. It's never rested on just people before. It's always been a holy place. And now what you have is the presence of God coming and resting on a holy place. On us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of the sacrifice of Christ. And then we too all become a priesthood. That's the other thing that happened with this, is those sacrifices that they made were to sanctify the priests so that the priests could go into the presence of God in some way and act as an intercessor. Their job was to help bring the rest of the congregation, the rest of the Jews, into the presence of God. They were the one who would go in and out as the intercessor. And now what's happening is God's going, you have one great intercessor, and now you become a priesthood of all believers. You've all been sanctified. You've all been cleaned. You've all been made pure by the sacrifice of Christ. So when you believe, when we come to be one of his followers, this is what happens. We become this temple that's been cleaned and purified. And we become priests who also have the ability to help usher people into the presence of of God in so many ways. We have power and we have a mission and we've been given that by the Holy Spirit to share this gospel. And that's the neat thing about it is really he gave us an example of the gospel before he even gave the first gospel sermon. That's what Peter's about to do is give the first gospel sermon. But we get a picture of it when he goes, I've come to dwell in you. No, you're not perfect. I've come to dwell in you because I've made you perfect. The sacrifice has been made. The blood has been spilled. And here's the interesting thing about this for us, because when we look at it, you may look at this and you go, one of two things, I, that's, that seems too high a place for me to be temple and priest. Or on the other hand, you go, I'm too scared to try and be temple and priest. 
And here's the thing about this that, that I think really matters, is we can't be self-righteous about it. Because it wasn't your blood, and it's not your sacrifice. It was given up by Christ. So you didn't do it. So there's no place for you to be self-righteous. But we also shouldn't be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. And the reason is because he reached across the gap. He's the one that came to us and said, I have decided I'll come dwell in you. I will make you clean. I'll make you holy. And I will make you the place where I will rest. And because of that, you'll have my power. One of the things that's really neat about that is it allows for everybody to kind of be in that place. This priesthood of all believers that we believe in, that's talked about, we can all act in some way as a priest. And the reason is because we've been given the gospel to share. He says, I'm going to hand this to you, and now I'm going to give you a mission, and you're going to go fulfill it. One of the neatest parts about that, and why I know that it works for everybody, that nobody here who belongs to Christ and has put their faith in Christ can say, not me. You want to know why? Because he chose Peter to give the first gospel sermon. Amen. What a mess. What a mess. Right? I want you to think about this for a second. This is Pentecost, day 50, after the Last Supper, right? This is day 50, after the Passover. Now, day 50, I started thinking about that. 50 days before now, for us, is December 30th. So I want you to think about everything that's happened to you from December 30th to right now. And you can probably think to yourself, I've had a few things happen that doesn't seem that long ago. I promise you, whatever's happened to you, you haven't had the ups and downs that Peter had in those 50 days. I promise you. That was a chock-full 50 days. Think about him for a moment. 50 days after the Last Supper, when Peter promised that he would never desert Jesus. 50 days right after that where he ran away after they arrested Jesus. Just 50 days after denying him three times in front of people. 50 days after really deciding I'm no longer his disciple, he's no longer my Messiah. About 50 days after he decided he was going to go back to being a fisherman. And during that 50 days, he saw an empty tomb. He was reinstated by Jesus on the shore of the lake. He was given the Great Commission. He was being called to lead Christ's church. All in that 50 days. To go from that low to that high, all during that time. And the only way that happens is because of the power of the gospel of Christ. We've been given that same thing. Like I said, something, something that happened then has not happened since. The idea that the tongues of fire would actually be visible and come rest over the heads of these 12 people and they'd all speak different languages and then everybody would hear them in their own language, that has not happened since. What has happened since, though, is God has come to dwell in his people. And he's called you and he said... You're my temple. You're going to be where I dwell. And you need to know if you don't belong to Christ yet or if you belong to Christ for a long time, if you're dealing with shame right now, if you're dealing with guilt, if this is your first time here, if this is your hundredth time here, that you need to know that price was paid and that fire comes because of the sacrifice of Christ. It's nothing that we did. He promises to come and rest in us because he made the sacrifice himself. That's where this great gospel sermon came from that P Peter got to teach. 
And it's not just his, but it's something that we all get to share in some way. The gospel of Christ. And you don't have to be an official priest. You don't have to be a minister. You don't have to be standing up on a stage to be able to share the truth of Christ Jesus and what's happened. It's our mission. It's our great commission that we've been given. And because of that, this first sermon came. And I'd like for you to hear it if you would. I'll lead up to it. This is Acts 2, 5 through 13. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, this is the wind again, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the other parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, and he raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews, and all who have lived in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious days of our Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was man accredited by God to you by miracles wondered and signs which God did among to you through him as yourselves now. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and for knowledge in, and you withheld the wicked men. Put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep it told on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices with my body also will reset in hope. Because you will not abandon me of the realm of dead, you will not let your holy one see decay. You have made known to me to the past of life. You will fill me to joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witness, witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. <laughs> 